Well, good morning, friends. It's great to be with you guys today. Thanks for uh, joining us, especially if it's your first time, or maybe last weekend, Easter Sunday was your first time with us, and you're back for more. We are so glad to see you again. If you uh, are new to West Falls, be sure to stop by the I'm New table in the foyer, grab your free mug, get to know us a little bit, get some information about what God's doing in this place. Uh, that's, the, that's the next stop for you after, uh, after service is over. Hey, before we dive into the message this morning, I just want to stop and brag on this church just for a few minutes. There's a couple of things that I'm so uh, proud of you for. First of all, I'm proud of the ways that you invited, welcomed, and then served people last weekend on Easter Sunday. It was a great day for West Bowles. It was a packed house at both services. A lot of new people, a lot of fresh faces, and I have you to thank for that. Um, everything from the music to the coffee bar, the kids programming, our welcome committee. And you guys did such a great job. And I'm biased, but I think folks experienced uh, the power of Christ, the resurrection of Christ in a really fresh and, and powerful way. So thank you, church. Well done. Grateful for all that you did uh, last weekend. Keep it up. Keep it up, please, please. Keep inviting folks, especially during our current series, Afterlife. Uh, I, I believe everybody in this world longs for a relationship with their creator and longs for a relationship with a community just like this. And that's our great call. It's our great responsibility, is it not, to introduce and invite people into both those relationships. So continue, continue to invite, please. I also want to thank you for the way that you've responded to the different missions opportunities that we presented with you uh, or to you the last couple of weeks. Here in the month of April, we've been highlighting and showcasing five different opportunities, missions that we are a part of, both locally as well as across the globe. Love Inc. was one this morning. Thank you so much for sharing uh, about all that God is doing in that place. Uh, your response to all five of those has been amazing. We've got a lot of socks in the foyer. Uh, we've got a lot of folks signed up to help with our special needs all-star nights. A lot of folks interested in going down to Juarez. And uh, as of last week, I kid you not, we already raised a 25000 for Peru. In three weeks, we raised that much for Peru. So thank you, church, for that. Grateful for the way you've responded to that. This morning, I want to make you aware of one final. We had a sixth option, sixth mission opportunity, kind of laying in the, wing, uh, in the wings, if you will, uh, waiting to uh, unveil this to you, depending on how we did with the Peru thing. But the sixth option that we're going to focus on the next couple of weeks, another mission opportunity is one that I want to tell you about now. It's going to happen on June 17th. Mark your calendars on that Saturday. Uh, we're going to be hosting a church-wide service day. It's going to be a little bit different in that we're going to be partnering with a group called Feed My Starving Children. And they're going to bring an 18-wheeler full of dry goods to the church on that Saturday. There's going to be two three-hour shifts that you can work, uh, 8 to 11 or 1 to 4, I believe. And we're going to pack four to 6,000 meals for those in Haiti. It's going to be an incredible opportunity to serve together as a family. It's open to all ages. Uh, and you have to RSVP, though, your spot, because spots are limited. We want West Bowles to get first dibs at this opportunity, but we're going to open it up to the community after that. So go online. There should be a link, a tab. Sign up Saturday, June 17th, a service day here, Feed My Starving Children. Uh, also, as a part of that, we're going to be raising some funds. Here's how uh, this mission works. Another church in Denver um, gifted this day to us. We were on their heart, and they wanted us to do this because they think it will change us. It'll be a blessing to us. And so they raised all the money that it took to bring the 18-wheeler, to get the team of people, to bring the food. And so we want to pay it forward. We want to bless another church in the area. So we're going to try to raise $20,000 between now and June 17th for this special day so that we can pick another church in this town, and we're going to say, you got to do this. And there's nothing stopping you because here's everything you need. 
So help me raise another 20, would you, for the Feed My Starving Children. Just put that on a check or tell Melanie in the back, uh, or in the foyer, I mean, about your support of that ministry. Again, RSVP, please. We need you to, we need you to sign up, and uh, we're excited to see how that day turns out. All right, well, speaking of RSVPs, I don't know about you, but I want to talk more about the place that all of us RSVP'd for last week. A place that Jesus said he is personally preparing for us. A place that is better than what we can even imagine it to be. It's a place called heaven. You want to talk a little bit more about that place this morning with me? Well, if not, you're just going to have to listen up because I want to talk about it. All right, let me pray and we'll dive into that discussion. God, we do now ask for your help to lift our eyes up. And would you fill our hearts up as well with thoughts and the realities of heaven? We believe it will change everything, so we look to you now, and we think about heaven now. Bless us and change us as we do just that. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. All right, well, last year, uh, my good friend Eric, the guy who was up here a couple of months ago, helped me talk through Holy Spirit stuff, right, the guy with the haircut story. Uh, he gave me a little gift one afternoon. It was a little bottle of this. It's called Mio. Anybody ever seen these little things? Little drink supplement type thing. You pour it in your glass of plain water, turns into a party in your mouth. Right? It's kind of the promise. So he gave this to me. It sat on my shelf for a couple of weeks. Didn't really know what to do with it. Then one day I was going golfing. Because according to Mingo, that's what white guys do. Right? We, we golf. And we swim. Mingo, that is the funniest picture I think I've ever seen. White, 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 white. Mingo, white, 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 white. All right, so I was going golfing with the fellow white guys. And I was thirsty. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use this little package. I'm going to use this little meal package. I'm going to fill my water bottle up with it. But I'm running late, I'm late getting to the course, all my buddies are waiting for me over there, so I just quickly grab a big old water bottle, and I grab the Mio package, and notice it says on the front of it, right there, 24, 24, I'm like, okay, great, this thing probably makes 24 ounces of drink, so I'm just going to keep putting this in here, right, this is going to fill me up, it's going to be a great day, so I get to the course, my water bottle's all filled up, I've drained the little Mio package into it, and I take my first drink. And it looked like I almost fell prostrate on my face right in front of my friends. This thing was the most powerful drink I've ever had in my life. Wow! What in the... Eric's trying to kill me. Well, I'm thirsty enough. I continue to drink the thing the rest of the day, even though it was... Mm. The guys probably thought something was wrong with me or something was hiding in my water bottle. Because every time I took a drink, it was like... Mm. So I run back home, going to the trash, and I'm like, what kind of radioactive material has Eric put in my body? Well, lo and behold, there's nothing too crazy in here, but, but I, read, I read it wrong. Uh, it does say 24, but it says this little guy makes 24 other little guys. And by little guys, I mean 18-ounce bottles of water. So I, I took this little guy, and I poured it all into this guy, right? But what I was supposed to do, it was just, it was just one squirt. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> this is what it was supposed to look like and taste like. And this is, this is what, I, what I had. Okay, so your pastor's not the sharpest tool in the shed, obviously. But all of this it reminded me a little bit about heaven. You don't see the connection? I'm not sure exactly what the problem I thought I was going to go to heaven that day after drinking this. I mean, this is... Mmm, that's like drinking straight syrup. Anyway, it reminded me of heaven for a couple of reasons. Here's, here's the main one. See, when it comes to heaven, most of us probably think about it like this. 
We're probably a one-squirt heaven person. The occasional funeral, occasional memorial service, we think about heaven. But if we're honest, when it comes to how much we think about heaven, it's actually probably like that, isn't it? I mean, heaven hardly ever crosses our minds. We don't ever talk about it. We don't really think about it. We don't long for it. We don't hunger for it. But the scripture says, you know how heaven should be in your life? It should be like that. Heaven should be so thick in you. You should fill yourself with it. That when you walk around, there's just a little something twitch about you. (laughs) Let me show you what I mean. Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Read that with me. Let's go back and do it again. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven. Not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with God, with Christ in God. Think about heaven. Fill your mind, fill your heart with heaven. Squeeze away, put it all in. This is what our life looks like when it comes to heaven. There's nothing. But Colossians says, Think about all the time the realities of heaven. And I love the reasoning, the rationale in that verse. Paul is saying, because of what you celebrated last weekend, because of the resurrection of Christ, because he was raised to a new life, and the promise that everybody who was in Christ is also raised to a new life, because of that reality, I want you now to think about this reality, heaven. Because of what happened over here at the cross and the empty tomb, I now want you to think about what's going to happen up there. You with me? Set your mind on heaven. Fixate yourself, other translations say, on heaven. Don't Don't just look at or think about or focus on earthly things. Fill your life with thoughts of heaven. In fact, a fixation on heaven, it's not just something that's going to help you grow in your faith. A fixation on heaven will actually help you become a pillar of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is referred to by many as the wall of fame or the wall of faith. It is a description in the Bible of all these amazing godly men and women who have lived before us. And it briefly describes what made them so godly. What they did for God and with God. By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith Jacob. About halfway through the chapter we read this. Hebrews 11 verse 13. All these people, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. A little confusing, I know, hang in there. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return Instead, all of these great men and women were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Do you know what made Noah so strong in his faith? Do you know uh, how they were able to press on and to push through? I mean, what gave these different guys, Jacob, Abraham, the audacity, the resolve to follow God, to do crazy things for God, to make sacrifices for God? What was it? It was their hunger for heaven. So they were looking, it says, for another country. And by that language, the author is saying they weren't thinking about the things back home, the comforts of home. They weren't thinking about what they had left or where they currently were. They were thinking about where they were going, where they were ultimately going, heaven. So they were longing for the life that comes after this life. They were concentrating on this celestial country, this celestial city that God had in mind. And it gave them the courage and the faith to do crazy things in this life. And this text seems to suggest that that it makes God so happy, it fills God with delight when his people live with the future in mind. When his people live in the future tense. Better yet, when his people live in the eternal sense. Or eternal tense. But maybe the opposite is true as well. Maybe God's ashamed to be called the God of those who only live like this life is all there is. Maybe God is ashamed or embarrassed when his people get so caught up in chasing after the things this world promises that they don't give a thought to all the things that he has prepared for us. By faith, by faith, by faith. How did Noah do it? How did Abraham do it? How did Moses do it? Well, they were looking towards heaven. It wasn't only about what was happening here. It was what was coming there. So this morning, as we dive into this series, I want to talk about quickly why it's important for us to fix our eyes on heaven. Why should we fill ourselves with it? Why should our lives be so thick of heaven? Why? What's the point? What's the the purpose? Let Let me share it with you. When someone gets exasperated or feels a little bit frustrated by something, they might say, oh, heaven, help us. Right? Oh, heaven, help us. Maybe your grandma. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody says it, I'm sure, somewhere. But you get, guess what? It, it can help us, right? Heaven can help us. They say it in jest, but there's a lot of truth to that. It can help us, and not just after this life. Heaven can help us right now in this life. In fact, what is coming later should drastically affect everything we say and do and think about now. You with me? Last week, we learned that heaven is real, a real place. This week, we learned that it's a very relevant place. It's very relevant right now. One pastor put it this way, heaven isn't simply a future hope. It's a very real, very powerful, present help. Heaven help us. Well, yes, it can. In fact, it can help you in a lot of ways. It can help you in ways that nothing else can help you. Let me share with you three The first way heaven helps us is that it gives us an unmatched and unprecedented perspective. Florence Chadwick was an American long-distance swimmer that lived in the 1950s. She was one of the first women to ever swim the English Channel. And she wanted to become the first woman to ever uh, swim the Catalina Channel, which is just outside of L.A. We used to live out there, and it's quite Quite a swim. It's 22 miles across from Long Beach across the Pacific out to a little island, not very little, but an island called Catalina. So she tried it on July 4th, 1952 at the age of 34. Florence attempted to become the first person to swim this 22-mile 
journey. You could see, um, we could see that island from our house, and on, on clear days, it was just the most beautiful thing. But it's way out there. And if you've ever been in the Pacific Ocean on the outside of California, it is freezing cold, like all year round, pretty much. You lie, they got pictures of you like in bro tanks and, and board shorts. No! Wetsuits, right? But that's not as sexy, so you don't have pictures of that. Anyway, okay, sorry. Freezing cold, a long way, and guess what? The day that she decided to swim it, it was dense fog. But she jumps into the water, and wouldn't you know it, of course, there's sharks out there too. There's a help boat next to her, a little support boat next to her. They have sticks and rods. They're trying to beat off the sharks to keep them away from her. So she's swimming and swimming and swimming. Well, after 15 hours and 55 minutes, she gave up, and she was taken out of the water. Her mom was in the boat right next to her, encouraging her to keep on, but she couldn't do it. She was asked uh, she asked to be taken out. She got back in the boat, went back to land, and she learned later that afternoon she was half a mile away from the shore. She was half a mile away. The next day in a press conference, she said, look, I'm not, I'm not making excuses here, but if I just could have seen the land, I know I would have made it. If I just could have seen the land, I know I would have made it. What was true for Florence is also true for us, is it not? When you can't see your goal, when you can't see where you're going, you are most likely going to give up. You're not going to have the drive or the desire to press on or to push through. But if you could just see it, if you could have the right perspective, chances are you will make it through whatever comes your way. And that's what heaven is for us. Heaven is our shoreline. And if you just keep looking at it, keep your eyes on it, you'll make it through the fog or the attacks or the cold waters of this life. Because sometimes life does feel like that picture of the ocean, does it not? You don't know where you're going. You don't like where you are. You want to just give up. Don't. Look at heaven. It's right there. You're so close. You have to keep it in perspective. When you look at heaven, it puts a lot of other things into perspective as well. At the top of that list is, is wealth. When you are filled with heaven, your understanding of wealth is radically different than everybody else. The earthly thinking says that our lives are measured, our worth is measured in zeros, in square footage, in the number of toys or homes or cars or brand names, whatever it is. That's how your life is determined, it's measured. So we literally buy into this mindset that he who dies with the most wealth, they win. We spend every minute and every dollar accumulating and buying and everything else. That's not true, though, for those whose eyes are fixed on heaven. That's true for this person right here. If you're not thinking about heaven, then it's all about wealth. But the person who is fixed and filled with heaven Oh, their understanding of wealth is so radically different. They understand there's a huge difference between treasures on the earth versus treasures in heaven. And if you're rich in one, you're most likely not going to be rich in the other. See, when you're fixed on heaven, you begin to realize that what the world calls treasures, well, they're trinkets. It's little trinkets, nothing more than a trinket. The things the world exalts as incredibly important and worthy of all your time and all your money. Well, guess what? They break down. They rust out. They get stolen. They get scratched. Ah, oh, they're just little trinkets. That new phone, oh, I mean, it's so amazing today, but then the screen breaks and the camera goes out and the apps stop responding, and the next day a better one comes out. You guys should get a cell phone. They're awesome, by the way. You guys know? Okay, all right. 
that shiny new car, that boat, that ATV, somebody scratches it, it gets in an accident, and oh, it's gonna cost $1,000 to fix it now, and for some reason it's not covered under the extended warranty that you just purchased for it. Right? But the treasures of this earth, they're not treasures, they're trinkets. I don't get all that excited when I go through the airport or I go through a convenience store. I'm not thinking, what valuable thing am I going to buy my wife right here? What, what, what treasure can I find at this 7-Eleven that will change her life? Frozen burritos? Keychain? Cheap Colorado shirt? That's not a treasure. It's a trinket. I'm not saying those things are bad, but don't consider them worth your life or the definition of the worth of your life. You with me? And when you're filled with heaven, that's how you see everything. Everything on the earth is just, it's just a trinket. See, Jesus would tell us that life is not about riches. Your life is about relationships. It's not about possessions. It's about people. When you have a heavenly mindset, when you're fixed on heaven, when you're filled with heaven, you realize treasures, treasures are other people. Not more stuff. It's knowing people. It's serving people. It's blessing people. It's, it's loving people. That, that's the treasure on earth. And investing in others, it's the best investment you can make on the earth. It's the only investment that will transcend the earth. So invest. Because that one's going to have the greatest dividends there is. Making money? No. It's about making friends. Saving and storing up more stuff? No. It's about seeing and serving others. Heaven should put your money into perspective. Heaven should put all your wealth into perspective. Heaven should put all your possessions in perspective. The other thing heaven will put into perspective is your understanding of happiness. See, our world is dominated by what some people call right now thinking, otherwise known as immediate gratification. I want something and I want it now. I want to buy it now. I want to have it now. I want to get it now. I want to do it now, right now. In fact, right now, thinking is how most of us operate, right? Who cares if I can't afford it? Who cares if it's going to hurt somebody? Who cares if it's going to mess things up down the road? It's all about being happy right now. Now, we're not alone in this. This has been a problem for all of time. Esau, a character in the Bible, sold away his entire inheritance. Why? He wanted a bowl of soup. When? Right now. I'm hungry right now. And I don't care about the consequences. I'll give you whatever you want so I can have it right now. King David committed adultery, sent his country and his family into a brutal civil battle because he wanted to sleep with that beautiful married woman when? Right now. I want her right now. Judas betrayed Jesus, committed one of the worst sins in all of human history. Why? Because he wanted 30 pieces of silver and he wanted them right now. Immediate gratification, something that plagues all of us. It's the thing the teenager is struggling with when they're in the backseat of the car with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Right, it's the thing the alcoholic thinks about when they're going to grab another bottle or take another shot. It's the thing the young couple thinks about or is struggling with when they take the credit card out that's already maxed out, but they want to buy something else they can't afford. Why? Because we've got to have it right now. Immediate gratification. But thinking about heaven, that changes all of that. This, this person is consumed with right now thinking. This person, it's not all about right now. It's about what's to come. It's about what is still yet to be. 
when you realize and truly believe there's another life after this life, you start making choices in this life that actually won't benefit you a whole lot in this life, but are guaranteed to give you something in the next life. That was a lot of life in that sentence, sorry, but hopefully it made sense to you, right? Heaven helps us realize it's not about right now. It's about what is yet to come. In fact, on multiple occasions, what did Jesus say? He said, don't do things right now so that you will benefit right now, right? Don't do them so others will see you, so you'll be praised or, or applauded, or you'll get material blessings in response. Don't do things with the right now mentality. Do them so your heavenly Father will see you do them, so you will be rewarded where? In heaven. He is saying, wait. He's saying, be patient. He's saying, make decisions now that will pay off later. It's not about right now. I don't care if you're happy right now, Jesus said. You'll be real happy in heaven. And so think about what you're doing right now that's positioning you well for that place. So because of heaven, there's joy in waiting. There's purpose in being patient. Because of heaven, things like sacrifice and, and, and delayed gratification, those matter to the Christian. Those should mark our lives. because It's not all about right now. It's not all about right now. All right, the last thing heaven puts into perspective is suffering and loss. So when you fill your, your life with heaven, when you fill your mind with heaven, you think differently about money, you think differently about happiness, and you also think differently about suffering and loss. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but life, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard, is it not? It's stressful and demanding. It can rock you to the core. It can push you to the brink. From pressures to pain, demands, to disease, broken relationships, to broken dreams. Life is hard. We face a lot of difficult situations. We have to be around a lot of difficult people. And that wears us out and it can wear us down. But heaven changes that. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. There's that language again. We fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is seen, unseen, is eternal. So focusing your eyes on heaven, it doesn't erase the pain of this life. It doesn't get rid of the pain of this life, but it gives you leverage and power over the pain in this life. See, Christ never promised an easy life. The American church made that up so they could get larger crowds to show up. He never promised an easy life for those who would follow him. What he did promise was eternal life for those who followed him. And that nothing in this life could ever stop you from getting into or experiencing the next life. And so pain and struggle and burden and loss, that's gonna be part of our equation. But when you live in light of heaven, in the promise of a pain-free, tear-free, problem-free, evil-free world. All the pain, all the trouble, all the trials of this world, the ones that seem so overwhelming, so insurmountable, all of those things become light and momentary. Our light and momentary troubles, Paul says. Oh, that little old thing? Oh, that cancer? Oh, that little old thing? Oh, that divorce, that little old thing. Oh, that child that I had to bury, that little old thing. 
Yeah, that, that little old thing in light of heaven is a light and momentary burden. And that little old thing, well, it's actually a big thing. You know why? Not because of the weight it puts on me in this life, because what it's doing in me and for me in the next life. Ooh, that's, that's, that's a word right there. <laughs> that little old thing, you don't say that if this is your life. Because that little old thing is going to break you apart. But if you live in light of heaven, that little old thing, yeah, I'm living for eternity. i got eternal glory yet to come. All the things that have happened to me, that have been done to me, all of those are achieving for me a glory far greater than I can even describe to you. That little old thing. <laughs> so because of heaven, our trials are momentary, but our triumph in Christ, that lasts forever. Romans 8, 18, I consider all of our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. All right, so it gives us some perspective, does it not? Heaven helps us because it helps us to see things a little bit differently. Heaven also helps us by giving us greater motivation to be pure. How many of you have ever heard of, or let me rephrase this, how many of you actually employ the five-second rule? Anybody? And all the teens raise their hands, Right? All right, for those of you who don't know what the five-second rule is, let me give you a formal definition. The five-second rule, sometimes referred to as the three-second rule, is a Western cultural food hygiene concept that states that there is a defined window, three to five seconds, where it's permissible to pick up food or sometimes cutlery after it's been dropped on the floor and thus exposed to contamination. All right, so now let me ask again, how many of you employ the three to five-second rule? You lie. You other people lie. There's actually a great scientific study that's been done on this. I'll let you cruise the internet and find the results for yourself. Pretty, pretty fascinating stuff. But here's the thing. A little dirt on your food, that's no big deal. But a little bit of sin deep in your heart, that's a really big deal. See, having your food sit on the filth of the ground, yeah, it might not hurt you at all. But having your soul covered in the filth of sin, it'll hurt. It'll hurt in a lot of different ways. See, the call of Christ is a call to consecration. It's a call to holiness, a call to purity. It's a call to stand up to and stand out from the depravity, the brokenness, the stupidity of our world. But newsflash, that's hard to do. Holiness is hard. It's so hard. And that's why we need heaven to help us. It seems as if heaven is a great motivator for staying pure, 2 Peter 3. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see, it's, it's not hard, you guys. It's not hard. It doesn't take a whole lot of willpower to just go with the flow and to give in to all the temptation that's around us. It's not hard to look at porn. It's not. It's not hard to lie about a friend. It's not. It's not hard to spread rumors about somebody. It's not hard to judge. It's not hard to be materialistic. That's not hard at all. That's easy. What's hard is being holy. And we need a motivator, do we not? And heaven is that motivation. I love that it says, with, with eyes fixed on this, with hearts filled with heaven, be spotless, be blameless, be pure. In light of heaven, seek Holiness. Peter says it's a place where righteousness dwells. I love that language. 
which means, at least my understanding of it, is that since righteousness lives there, it's the very dwelling place of righteousness, those who are not pursuing it here are not going to fit in up there. Because that's where it lives. And so we seek it now. We make every effort, Peter says, to be found spotless. According to Peter, heaven gives us the moral stamina to stay pure in a world that is not. When you are struggling to be holy, you think about heaven. I'm not sure if you are aware of this or not, but um, getting married, it's kind of a big deal, right? Especially for the bride. I mean, the bride has to do a lot of work and go through a lot of stuff when she gets married. I've done a lot of weddings over the years, young couples, different folks at the church, and, and I love kind of watching the bride go through all the different rigmarole of getting prepared. But, but let me tell you this, it's really not fair because I've never once seen Groom Magazine. Never. I mean, it might exist, but the groom gets off easy, really. It's the bride. It's the bride's responsibility to clothe herself in beauty, to clothe herself in purity. It's the bride's job to do that. She prepares herself for the groom. Well, guess what, church? We are called the bride of Christ. And it is the bride's responsibility to clothe herself in purity, to clothe herself in beauty, to clothe herself in righteousness, in preparation for her groom, who is coming soon. The groom wants to see his bride so beautiful, and it's our responsibility to prepare ourselves and make it such, make it so. So heaven, it gives us perspective. Heaven helps us stay pure. And finally, heaven should fill our hearts with praise. In the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at in depth at Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, they're chapters that describe uh, what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. But at the end of, this, of these chapters, the one who first wrote them, the one who first saw all these great visions, uh, John, he wrote these words. Look, look at what he says. Revelation 22, verse 8. I, John, I'm the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all, the, all those who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. So you see what's happening in this verse? John has just been filled with heaven. He has fixed his eyes on heaven. And what's his response? Worship. He is so ready to praise. He is so ready to worship. That's the only response. That's the best response, the most appropriate response. It's worship. He doesn't even know what to worship, so he starts worshiping the angel. Angel's like, I'm just the messenger, man. Worship the one who's making that. Worship the one who lives there. Worship the one who's preparing that place for you. You worship God. See, when you get a glimpse of heaven, when you learn more about heaven, when you go from just thinking about heaven at a memorial service to thinking about heaven every day, you will be filled with praise, period. There's the praise of heaven. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. There's the praise in heaven. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But right now, there is praise for heaven. I can speak from personal experience on this one. I love to worship. It's kind of my, my God love language. I get kind of worked up and, 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 and to, you know, a little, little um, animated sometimes in my worship times. But I tell you what, as I've been thinking about heaven the last couple of months, as I've been reading about heaven and praying about heaven, 
My praise level has been cranked up to a level I didn't even know existed. I cannot lift my hands high enough in honor of the God who made heaven. I cannot sing loud enough to the God who is preparing that place for me. I had a friend a few weeks ago say, yeah, I don't really like West Balls a whole lot. You guys stand too much during worship. And I want to be like, stand too much? You know what you could do? You could lie face down on the ground if you'd prefer. Because that's really the only other appropriate position to be. When you know about heaven, God's dwelling place, where you and I will be someday, you cannot stop praising. So we have a song selected. It's already late, but band, why don't you come up here? Those of you that want to stick around and worship with us, you can. If you've got to get your kids, we totally understand. The preacher went so long today. God. But heaven, fill your heart with heaven. Fill your mind with heaven. Why? Because heaven can help us. Heaven helps us get a lot of perspective, helps, helps us stay pure, and it helps us be filled with praise. I could summarize the whole sermon today in, in one line. Heaven gives us hope, and heaven helps us cope. Heaven gives us hope, and heaven helps us cope. You know why? Because heaven's going to be so dope. I'm sorry, that's super corny, but it just worked. It just worked. And I cannot wait because next week we will start to talk about how dope it is. What do we do there? What's it going to be like? Where is it? What do you fill your time with? Oh, I cannot wait, church, to fill you with more heaven because it will change you. I promise you that. Let me pray that over you. And again, if you've got time, please stick around and worship with us. If not, feel free uh, to take off. Let's pray. God, you are an incredible God that you would invite us to live with you. You didn't just create a space, God, and say, yeah, you stay over there because this is my space here. No, you invite us into your space and where you are, God, that's where we want to be, your dwelling place. What's it like? What could it possibly be like? A new heaven and a new earth, the way it was meant to be. Life and love and relationships and creation and animals and food, the way you intended them to be. No sin stain on anything, God. No evil force in any way. What's it going to be like, God? We cannot wait. And so until we get there, help us to think about it. Help us to fix our eyes on it, God. Help us to long for it, pray about it, talk about it. Because it can help us now. It's an ever-present hope. Ever-present help. We thank you, God, for inviting us to be with you where you are. And again, until we join you in that place, help us to fix our eyes on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.